Jesus was a radical revolutionary. He overturned or challenged biblical laws on divorce, on the death penalty, on food purity, that's where that line came from, on Sabbath observance, and he reduced the Ten Commandments to two. Uh, he, you know, it, I mean, his, his radical reform nature is what got him killed. Hi, I'm Mark Smeeby, and welcome to Saving My Faith. My faith has taken quite a beating over the years, but I still want to hang on to it. Organized religion can be a messy and painful mistress, promising love and connection, and instead offering hypocrisy and shame. Even still, I don't want to throw the baby Jesus out with the bathwater. There's still so much excellent wisdom within Christianity that I believe could truly revolutionize our world. I want to help fight through the clutter and find the really good stuff. I want to save my faith and maybe help save yours too. My guest today is actor, comedian, writer, and broadcaster, John Fugelsang. I first saw John on VH1, you know, the music video channel. I knew then that he was a super funny, smart guy. I next saw him when he hosted America's Funniest Home Videos for a stint. He has appeared on CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, Fox News, HBO, and NPR. Recently, Fugelsang was the host of Current TV's daily show, Viewpoint, where he analyzed the news and facilitated conversations about current affairs. Currently, he hosts a daily political comedy program called Tell Me Everything on Sirius XM Insight channel, which is super entertaining to listen to. So why am I having John on my podcast? I believe John has some brilliant insights into what it actually means to be a Christian. And I hope we can come up with some ideas on how perhaps those of us who consider ourselves to be Christian could be doing it better and offering a better witness to the culture at large. Um, a slight warning, this conversation might be offensive to some of you. We talk about a lot of issues that are very strongly defended by fundamentalists. There are some words said that may be offensive to you, but John puts words on so much of what I've been feeling and thinking for years and have really never had the courage or the well-phrased words to say. This guy will crack you up, he'll challenge you and might make you mad, but I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't believe that at the core of our conversation is a plea to return to the teachings of Jesus. If you're going to claim to be a Christian, following what Jesus said and taught is definitely the way to go. So hang on to your hats. Here we go. Okay, so John, if you don't mind, just filling me in on like, where, where are you at? Are you in New York? I am. Okay. You have a fascinating origin story um, in that your mother was a nun and your dad was a Franciscan brother. Yes. Tell me about that. What was that like growing up in that situation? Uh, well, growing up, it, it, it just seemed very normal because it's all that I knew. So it seemed like there was us, the normal people, and then there was the rest of the world that was strange. But, but the whole thing was strange because we were the most Catholic kids in our town. We were went to mass every Sunday, every holy day, grace before every meal, you know. Uh, but we were also the, uh, I, I guess, the most liberal family. I was the only kid who went to every holy day mass, and I was the only kid whose dad voted against Ronald Reagan. And at the time, it was very confusing to me because the media, the TV, sold me what Christians were, uh, and that was Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson. You know, right. you watch TV, you get you get two versions of uh, spirituality: yeah. atheists and imbeciles. You're either a non-believer or you're a complete 
cretins screaming at women outside clinics. So it, it was always very confusing. It took me many years and a lot of, uh, a lot of just reading the Bible uh, to really understand that, oh, gee, no, my dad was actually very consistent in that regard. Um, so it was, it was always very strange for me as a child. And uh, I grew up to be very, very thankful for it after a, a lot of therapy. I love this so much. I, I, I love how you know the Bible so good. Like, you know it better than most people I know. But, uh, but I want to go back to your childhood just for a second. Like, the idea, like, were you, I got to be a really good kid? Um, or were you kind of like, nah, I don't, I don't have to be a good kid because I'm a Catholic. I got that covered. Or like, I don't even know. Like, what, is, what was that like for you? It was both. Um, one of the reasons I understand fundamentalism so well is that I think to a large degree, uh, I was one as a child. I don't blame my parents for this, um, but a part of me just thought, well, I go to church every Sunday. Um, I don't see the other kids there, and I go to church every holy day. I don't see the kids on Sunday at the holy days, so uh, God likes me more. And that's the essence of fundamentalists of all religions. They don't believe they're better than you. They believe God thinks they're better than you. So as a young person, I grew up wanting to be good, but at the same time, um, I think I grew up having a certain measure of spiritual narcissism, of, uh, of thinking that I was better and that God liked me more. And I used to see this uh, billboard down south a lot that said, uh, Christians aren't better, just saved. Right. And that kind of sums it all up. And what I liked about the Catholic faith was it was sort of like, uh, no, no. Oh, so you accept Jesus as your savior? Good for you, Ringo. Screw you. Back of the line. That's just step one. And I, I always grew up um, liking the thought that uh, just because you accept Jesus as your savior doesn't mean anything. You know, most people I know who, at least the loudest people who say they accept Jesus as their savior, really just accept him as their mascot, as their prop. I, I learned there's a big difference between uh, worshiping Jesus as a God and following his inconveniently progressive teachings. Yes. I love hearing you talk that way. I grew up as a very conservative, I've got to be perfect in every way, learn everything to do to make God be impressed with me, make my parents, you know, like make everyone think that I'm really being the best little Christian boy I could, yeah. you know? Yeah. I have grown up and we're about the same age and really only in the last five to 10 years have I been like... Maybe there's another way that is that I can learn how to actually love myself apart from this performance-based, continually seeking approval and affirmation from God and everyone else and myself, and never knowing that I'll never be able to live up to these expectations that I'm putting on myself, but yet I'm going to keep trying. So then you just end up like exhausted and worn out, resentful. And then for me, like always wondering why it seems so easy for everybody else. Look how happy everybody is. You know, it's like for some people, it's just so easy for them. And and um, I've been accused of thinking too much. I don't know if you've ever heard those words, John. You think too much. Has anybody sure. ever? <laughs> All the time. And and that can be true. It's easy to get caught in your own head. But I hear everything you're saying. But at the same time, there is a certain virtue to that. You know, I'm not anti-religion at all. Um, I'm, I'm anti-fundamentalism. Yeah. Uh, but you know, as I often say to my atheist friends. We'll never know how many murders and rapes and thefts weren't committed because people were afraid of hell. You know, religion played a religion played a, a powerful role in, in civilizing our species, whether we like it or not. And 
Um, and I think it still can. I just wish that the people who proclaim to follow Jesus the loudest would actually, you know, follow his teachings instead of actively voting against everything he taught. Yeah, wouldn't that be awesome? Through our conversation, I'd love to see if, like, somehow we can come up with some some ways to encourage people to to do that. Like, how how can we? Like, you seem to be such a person of hope. Like, you're so kind, but yet you got like this fiery, like, you know, I'm just gonna tell it like it is, and it and you tell it, and it and it it's jarring, but I believe that there's a there's a beauty to that that actually can. Um, we need to be jarred. You know, we need to be jarred yeah. into new ways of thinking. So um, That's what the Nazarene did, right? I mean, <laughs> he didn't hate anybody, but he didn't pussyfoot around. Right. He wasn't out there, you know, like like selling you some soft soap spirituality. Um, you know, he, he, he was very blunt, and I have a lot of respect for that. And I, I kind of feel like, you know, the, the power of Jesus, whether you believe in Jesus as the Son of God, uh, divine figure, or if you believe in him as a myth, or if you believe in him as a complete fiction, or if you believe in him as a literary figure, or if you believe in him as a first century mystic activist who was the original innocent brown man executed by the state, either way, um, his teachings are so radically progressive in so many ways, uh, and so radically based in acceptance, forgiveness, compassion, and love, that I think, you know, he still has the power to shock. Um, you know, man is defiled not by what goes into his mouth, by what comes out of it. First time I read that, it blew me away. And and that was because, you know, he, he did defy a lot of Old Testament law. It's technically what got him killed. You know, people want to say, oh, he said, I did not come to end the law, but to fulfill it. And, and so that's the argument a lot of right-wing brothers and sisters use to justify their bullshit homophobia or uh, their whatever. But Jesus was a radical revolutionary. He overturned or challenged biblical laws on divorce, on the death penalty, on food purity. That's where that line came from, on Sabbath observance. And he reduced the Ten Commandments to two. Uh, he, you know, it, I mean, his, his radical reform nature is what got him killed. I find that, you know, if they're not trying to crucify you, you're probably not actually speaking his words. So, you know, um, love can be a tough sell. People want to feel safe and people want to be in a clique and people want to feel like they're in the one true unauthorized God fan club. And uh, I have no problem with that. My problem is with the fundamentalists of all the world's religions. Um, and, I, and I get along with them. I try to get along with them. It's important to get along with them. But it's the fundamentalists of all the world's religions that are keeping life so interesting for the rest of us, as George Carlin would say. I, I find that there's five traits that unite all fundamentalists, again, regardless of the religion. Christian, Jew, Muslim, Hindu. I don't know about Scientologists. Maybe Scientologists have fundamentalists. But um, the fundamentalists of all the world's religions have the same core hangups. Uh, women are inferior. The more extreme conservative your religion is, no matter what the religion is, women are second-class citizens. Gay, bad. Uh, sex is icky, except for procreation. Again, the more conservative your religion is, these things will all be true. Violence is okay if my side does it. The fifth one is um, other religions are okay, but I belong to the one true religion. Yes. Only mine is right. Out of all the 5,000 ones, I'm in the one true one. Mm -hmm. And then you sprinkle a pension for victimhood on top of it. And that's fundamentalism. And, and they can all be the same religion. Fundamentalist Muslims have more in common with fundamentalist Christians than they do with liberal Muslims. 
that's that's a mind-blowing thought and everything you said makes absolute sense but but so few people actually look at it that way and that's that's yeah. like a 10,000 foot perspective that i think is so healthy uh for us to know if if we are going to be truly like authentically spiritual people in the sense that we are becoming more and more loving more and more actually like like we were created to be this kind of in the image of God. I, I want to back up to something you said. There's so many things that are just like, yeah, John. Um, one is you talked about um, if people are not wanting to crucify you, you, you might not be doing it right. It was something along those lines. Yeah, I don't mean, I mean, it sounds a bit absolutist, but you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, yeah. But, I, but, I, but I feel like a lot of um, evangelical Christians that I know and that I've seen on social media um, like to wear that like, um, that persecution complex. Yeah, they, victim of. They, they, and and they use that same justification. Like I'm just being like Jesus, and that's why people don't like me, or they don't want me to um, bring my principles into their situation. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. What? What would you say? What would you say to that person when somebody is kind of claiming persecution as a, you know, an upper middle class white evangelical Christian? You're kind of like, well, what kind of persecution are you exactly talking about? Yeah, you know, yeah. is Jesus it, didn't even play victim on his worst day. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like we can't pray before the city council meeting. Like that's persecution of oh, Christians. Yeah. Well, that I say, you take it up with James Madison. You know, I mean, blame the founding fathers because they wanted that separation of church and state. And and um, I, you know, you, you want a government that's based in Christian religion with no abortion and no gay people. Well, Iran is waiting for you. But otherwise, um, separation sure. of church and hate is technically the conservative point of view because that's what the framers of our Constitution wanted. And they were brilliant in that regard religious freedoms must be protected. But what does that mean? You know, like, I, I love hearing folks talk about uh, religious freedoms. Like, um, I should be allowed to not uh, provide goods and services to gay people because my religion tells otherwise. Mike Pence is disgusting, amoral, uh, a religious freedom law in Indiana. You know, the media is really the villain in all this because at no point does the media say, where in the Bible did Jesus drive the gay cakes out of the temple? I mean, where, where, you know, you want to say that you get to, dis you should be allowed to discriminate against gay taxpaying citizens in our society because of your religion. Show me where Christ commands you to reject gay people. If you're a Christian, you don't get to judge them. Your job is to love them. And the more you hate someone, nine times out of 10, that means you need to love them, you know? They always say, if you want to know what God looks like, look in the eyes of someone you love. Uh-uh, no, look in the eyes of someone you hate. That's the spiritual test. I sort of have this theory that wh whoever you hate, that's who God's going to be. So if you don't like ignorant hillbillies, God's going to come out of a trailer saying, hey, get off of my cloud. You know, if you don't like loud black women, God's going to be in the back of the movie theater making a lot of noise. If you don't like gay men, oh, sister, wait till you meet him. You know, I, I, I sort of think that's the beauty of it. And you have to be able to find God in the eyes of people you despise. That, to me, is the spiritual test. Oh, John. Otherwise, you're just comforting yourself. Otherwise, you're just making yourself, you know, uh, feel good and reinforcing your own beliefs. Right. But I think the, the disconnect there is that most people don't believe that they're actually hating. Yeah. They're, they're just being principled. Oh, yeah. It's a Nuremberg argument. I'm not hating gay people. I'm just following orders. 
Yeah. yeah. It work in Nuremberg doesn't work in heaven. But if I'm saying like the best way to love you, John, is to get you from driving off that cliff right. with all your penchants for immorality. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, I go to the Bible. You know, I, I hear this all the time. We don't hate gay people. We love them. And we're trying to save their souls. We're trying to save them from all that sin. Right. And I say, show me where the f in the Gospels Jesus says this about gay people. Show me. Show me where Jesus commands you to be cruel and judgmental to your gay and lesbian and transgender brothers and sisters. Yeah. Show me. Leviticus? Nobody follows Leviticus. Mm -hmm. If you follow Leviticus, then you have to stone adulterers to death. Uh, and that includes, by Old Testament law, divorce and remarriage. Right. So if you really believe the one part of the Bible that says being gay is a sin, you owe it to God to kill Donald Trump two times, which you should not do. So, you know, again, it, it's not your job to judge him. It's your job to love him. And there's no basis in the Gospels for homophobia. Homophobia is antithetical to the teachings of Christ. So, you know, I, I reject their arguments that they're just trying to save these people. Take the log out of your own eye. You know, let let God deal with them. You worry about your own soul. And if you believe this book written 2000 years ago by these ancient Hebrews, then your job is to love them and to be a mention, to be good to them and to make their lives easier. If you're if your good deeds are out there trying to make life harder for somebody, if you're trying to make life harder for a transgender child, where do you get off calling yourself Christian? I'm yeah. sorry. And, and the media doesn't ask the right questions. The media just assumes, oh, you're, you're Christian? Great. Then that means that you get to scream at women outside health clinics. That means, you know, of course you're persecuting transgender people. But there's nothing in the Bible to justify that. And that's my point. And, and again, everyone picks and chooses the parts of their holy books they right. want to believe. Right. We're all buffet believers of every faith. But when you're picking and choosing to justify cruelty, to morally justify being mean to somebody else, that's when you got to get called out for it. Yeah, awesome. I, I know there's somebody listening right now that's going, uh, "Who is this John guy? Is what is he even a Christian?" And I know. Yeah, is there an, was there an introduction of who I am? Because uh, I'm just a I'm just a clown, <laughs> folks. I'm I'm not going to take it seriously. Believe me. You I'm you guy with too much free time to read the Bible. You are far from a clown. You are one of the most intelligent, well-spoken people that I've ever encountered. And um, God bless your low standards. Thank you. Mm, that's how I live. I've been hurt a lot, so I keep them very low. That's it, right? That's it, right? <laughs> I mean, and that's that's what gives you soul. You know, it, it's it's the fact that you have been hurt and you choose to move forward and get stronger and and grow in love and grace. Uh, as Mr. Cohen said, there's a crack in everything. It's how the light gets in. Yes. I love that. Um, I want to I want to read a quote from you where you said, "I aspire to be Christian. I aspire to be more Christian. I would not presume to handle that label on myself. Christianity is under attack, and it's always been under attack by people who declare themselves Christians and actively work against everything Christ talked about. The loudest Christians are the ones rejecting the teachings of Christ." Ah. That is something that I have wanted to say for so long, but I've lived in that that place of I have to be a good person. I can't offend. I I can't um, provoke. You know, or I I can't challenge. And I want to move into that space because it's so important. I, it's so important that we actually learn truly like what it means to be a person of love, a person of faith, a person of hope. You know, I I think I think these are some of the most important things that seem to be missing from 
a lot of religious experience, ex- particularly from the Christianity that, that I've been exposed to. Um, so that's, that's kind of what my quest is. But you, you have a quest as well. And, and I'm curious if you've kind of put a, uh, uh, if you have like a thesis statement or like, how, how are you trying to be in the world um, how am I trying to be in the world? That's a good question. I mean, you know, to your, to your original point about uh, being Christian, like I don't, yeah, I, I kind of view the word Christian the way I view the word liberal. I don't claim to be one. I aspire to be one. You know, I think it's easy to call yourself a Christian. Uh, we can all do it. We are in a free society. You can call yourself whatever you want. Um, I can call myself the Rolling Stones bass player. It doesn't mean I am. Right. And uh, like I said, I grew up thinking because I went to church every Sunday and went through the motions and did all the things you're supposed to do, that that made me better. And I was a smug child. And, you know, I, I, I had a girlfriend in my teens, uh, my late teens, early 20s, who was uh, of a different religion. And she was one of the best people I ever knew. But I knew I could never marry her. I could never take it seriously because she was in the wrong religion. Right. He was Jewish, and I'm not going to let my child be raised not Catholic. I'm in the one true religion. Right. And and um, again, I was very, very young, and I had a lot of growing and learning to do, but that's that's the sort of thing that I have to live up to and live down and, and you know, grow beyond. In, in a weird way, are you kind of do, making recompense for that, that smug self-righteousness um, by leaning heavily into the the you know the compassion the love the hope the uh the kind of the mo that you appear to have now i mean i that's what i'm trying to do yeah i, I don't know if I, I don't know if i can achieve recompense for it you know i i mean i don't know i've spent a lot of time in, with therapists asking about that but i and again i don't want to be a complete hypocrite calling out other people for the same thing i did but i'm willing to admit my own shortcomings and my own failings i don't pretend to be better than anybody for me it's like none of us are perfect we're all sinners but I will call out people who are trying to uh, put other people in a box and using Christianity as their tool to do so, because I'm tired of seeing the religion of my mom and dad used to justify meanness. Look, yeah. I ask this question all the time. Give me one teaching of Jesus that Donald Trump is not the opposite of. Give me one gospel teaching of Christ, an actual thing Jesus said, that Donald Trump or the Republican Party have fought for legislatively in the last 40 years, just one. And that's a question that'll help you understand how few people have actually read the Bible. Because I'll hear abortion. Well, no, uh, Jesus never mentioned abortion. He was against the death penalty. Uh, You know what I get all the time? I get um, uh, moving the embassy to Israel. And I'm like, this might shock you, conservative loved ones. Uh, Jesus never gives an opinion on where America's embassy should be because this was 1,492 years before Columbus set sail. So, no. Um, you know, it's... And again, we're all full of crap. We're all full of crap. We've got to be able to admit it. But I'm hoping that my full of crapness doesn't lend itself to cruelty and meanness to other people. You're listening to Saving My Faith. I'm Mark Smeeby, and I'm chatting with John Fugelsang about ways that Christianity has been hijacked by political movements and turned into dangerous fundamentalism that doesn't seem to resemble Jesus at all. While we were chatting, I was smiling and laughing and at the same time continually trying to consider what things I have believed that were supposed to be part of my Christianity, but were in fact just human constructs meant to build a sense of rightness 
and a critical attitude to those who were not doing life or religion the right way. In fact, even considering them enemies or even vicious attackers of our beliefs. It was all about us versus them. I'm done with that kind of living, and I hope conversations like this help you as well to see how we can better love and work for the betterment of all of us and not just those in our tribe. Thanks again for listening. It means a ton to me. Let's get back to the conversation. I'm, I'm thinking about a person that's listening right now that is, um, has lived their life being very principled and very assured that their way of believing exactly in Jesus and subscribing to these certain, you know, seven points or whatever their, their points are, um, that that is the right way that a person is supposed to live. Like, how can you, how can you say to that person, yeah, that might be one of the good ways to live, but there are people that are living in other ways that um, that are worthy of the same amount of respect and and compassion as people in your tribe. I think you just said it. Ah, I think you just said it. That's sweet. Thank you, John. You know, I mean, uh, I don't smugly presume to know the will of God. Uh, mm. I know what's in the Bible, um, and I know what's not in the Bible. But um, you know, if if you've got open heart and you're loving and forgiving and compassionate to others, and you're always trying to grow, you know, I don't think that there's ever really any finish line. I think it's always a process. It's always about the journey. And, uh, you know, what, what's the expression? There was only one true Christian and he died on the cross. Um, so, so for me, it's just all about, you know, how much are you growing? How much are you willing to learn from your mistakes? Um, how much are you willing to take responsibility for hurting others? And um, if you're going to be using Jesus or his movement as your justification for your behaviors, you better be able to back it up. Because again, I, 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 some of the best Christians I know are atheists and some of the most godless heathens I know call themselves Christian. Right. It's also taking responsibility, not for just hurting how you hurt people, but also for how you're helping people. I think that's a big one. Like how, how is my life, how is my faith informing how I am um, living in this world? How am I caring for people? And you've touched on that in a lot of what you've said. Um, how can we care for the people that are in need? I'm so curious how, like, you know the Bible so well. You appear to know the Bible so well. Um, where did that come from? Like, it, it's, was there a time, like, where you're like, I'm 16 now, I'm going to read the Bible? Or, like, was there, was there a tipping point where, where you just really started studying? Because you've got, like, a master's level Oh, no, I don't. No, that's oh. very confident. No, I don't. I, I, those people I have on my Sirius XM show, I talk to the real theologians all the time. And I've been blessed to interview a lot of theologians I've really admired. I've been blessed to, to have, interview people like Sister Helen Prejean or, or Bishop John Shelby Spong or Marcus Borg. Um, you know, when I was like 20 or so, my, my dad was teaching a community college course down south about religion. And I sat in one day. I was down in Virginia. My parents retired to my mom's hometown. And I, I was down there and I, I attended his lecture on Martin Luther and the Reformation. And I didn't know anything about Martin Luther. And everything he went through about Martin Luther's problems with the Catholic Church, when it was over, I said to him, Dad, why aren't we Lutheran? Everything that Luther didn't like about the Holy Roman Empire is the same stuff you and Mom don't like about right, that. Right. And he couldn't answer me. He's like, Dude, I don't know. And and that really that really stayed with me. And um when I went to college, I went to mass all through all through college, and uh, 
at the NYU Catholic Center. And it was amazing to be part of a, for the first time, a progressive Christian community where LGBT people were openly welcomed and celebrated. I brought my parents to mass at NYU in like the early nineties and they couldn't believe it. So many gay couples. I mean, this was a church that used to be on Washington Square. It was a fantastic little chapel. Uh, so many gay couples. My mom and dad loved it. They thought it was amazing. Um, and I eventually got tired of the hypocrisy in, in, in the church. I don't really understand why God would decide 51% of humanity is unfit to serve in the priesthood. Right. Uh, I don't really get that whole Vatican idea about no knob, no job. Um, <laughs> and, and I wanted to learn more. I wanted to understand more. And so I began just reading a lot. I started with Bishop Spahn uh, and I, I, I kept on going deeper and deeper and listening to lectures and trying to consume as much as I could. And, and when I moved out to LA uh, and spent all my time on the freeways, I would you know, listen to all kinds of different uh, like, like tapes and CDs and lectures. And I, I really began becoming just a strictly amateur theologian. Um, Spong was really a big one for me. His stuff is very academic, but it's really beautiful and, uh, and very moving. And, and, and I, I always you know, was like, well, why, why, why is birth control wrong? And it, went, it wasn't until I read the Bible that I'm like, oh, the Bible never actually says that. You know, at no point does God say thou shalt not wear a jimmy hat. Um, and, you know, why, why is abortion so wrong? And, and I, I read the Bible and uh, it turns out the Bible's not against abortion. And God says life begins with first breath in Genesis. In Exodus, God asserts that he has more value for a woman's life than for a fetus. God drowned every pregnant lady and every fetus on earth one day just because he was in a mood. God gives rather detailed tips for abortions to Moses in Numbers chapter 5 for unfaithful pregnant wives. Um, and Jesus never actually mentions abortion. He, he mentions the death penalty, um, but Jesus's religion of Judaism, not against abortion. And as I got older and realized that, oh, wait, abortion is something that the Bible's not against, but it's what right-wing preachers used to establish their power in the 1970s and 80s. Um, you know, that's the brilliance of fundamentalist Christianity. They got Christians to vote against everything Christ ever talked about by talking about abortion, which Christ never talked about. Now, I'm not saying Jesus is pro-abortion by any means, but I'm saying you can't use Jesus to condemn women who have them. And uh, there's nothing in the scriptures that supports that. And incarcerating women and incarcerating doctors for terminating pregnancies might feel good to you, but it's got nothing to do with the teachings of Christ. And the great failing of our media is they haven't learned this yet. And just because someone's outside of a clinic persecuting a woman doesn't make them Christian. In fact, it makes them the opposite of what Jesus talked about. It's not your job to judge, it's your job to love. And if you're so upset about these fetuses that are being terminated, well, then what are you going to do to help some of the actual born children who are out there and need a home and need family and need textbooks? What are you going to do to help the people who are here? Yeah. So again, it's like consistently, the one thing Jesus gets mad about is not your sexuality. All that is the Old Testament. All that is St. Paul. Jesus didn't get mad at what people do with their wee-wees. Jesus got mad at religious hypocrisy and mistreatment of the unfortunate. Yeah. Wow. Um, 
to that one person that's left listening, man, thank you for sticking around through this. <laughs> no, have I driven your entire audience away? I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, there was two at the beginning, so now it's just just. Uh, <laughs> I love I love that that story that you tell about how when you were on 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 a panel with David Duke, you know, and and your dad was like, "Whoa, <laughs> leave your guns at home," and yeah. and you you didn't, but I are. Is that a process of learning over the years of like when to bring out the guns, when when yeah. to express the outrage? Sure, yeah. I mean, I was a hot-headed kid and, uh, you know, or a little older than a kid. There's a different kind of fundamentalism. I mean, we have all known, you know, there, there's fundamentalism in religion. And then there's a different kind of illogical fervor when you think, okay, well, I'm over my childhood programming. Now I know the real truth. Right. Either I'm, I'm now an atheist, I'm now agnostic. I'm now uh, the right religion, or I'm now uh, a better version of the religion I was raised in. Yeah. So forget about that stuff. Now I have absolute truth. And that's another coming of age you've got to go through, where just because you decolonized your mind from your original programming doesn't mean you are now the bodhisattva. It just means you're on the journey, and you're learning, and you have to keep on learning and growing. And yes. we're all works in progress. When you go thinking that you know, you're the one, uh, who's got it all figured out, that's the core element of fundamentalism. And that makes you make a lot of stupid mistakes and a lot of hurtful mistakes. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of my favorite books from this past year, in addition to Jesus and John Wayne, was uh, Brian McLaren wrote a book called Faith After Doubt, which chronicled these processes that, that we go through. And uh, it's a, it a fantastic book. If anybody is looking for a book to kind of process or to help understand these these um, these series that we go through, for, where we start learning all these wonderful things, maybe as a child or could be as an adult, we learn that this is the right way to do things, and then we're empowered to be like become disciples. Like this is how you be a disciple of this. Now that you're on our team, and then and then that moment, like something happens, some sort of crisis. Maybe it's a relationship where you suddenly go, wait a minute maybe there's some chinks in that armor and you start to go through this maybe process of doubt, this place of like, you know, the, some people say the cards start, you know, falling from this house of cards that were built up. I don't hear you saying that. I hear you say that there's some real value and I hear this in Brian too, but yet real value in holding on to some of these wonderful things that we learned with. I say, I don't want to throw the baby Jesus out with the bathwater. That's what I said. <laughs> but then there's the place like, what do we do with that? And, and the, the big buzzword right now is deconstruction, but there's also the, this step of, of reconstruction or like reforming, maybe um, just creating a new understanding of what the actual gospel is. And I feel like our conversation has just been just, rife with that kind of information. And I'm so grateful to be able to share that with people that maybe have never had the experience of, of hearing some of these perspectives. And that would be my hope is that, that for anyone that's listening that maybe is going through some doubt or some feeling like, ah, oh, man, I, I got to get away from that. There's still some good things to hang on to. And there's some really good things. And it, and it kind of like I hear you say, it's kind of centered around Jesus. Like Jesus was like pretty cool. And as you say, it's his fan clubs that drive me crazy. But like, like Jesus had some good stuff to say and, um, and, and gave us a good way to learn how to be good people, not only just good people, but authentic people to really be God to the world around us. And that, that would be my, my hope for this takeaway from this conversation. Well, you make me feel bad for swearing. Yeah, I mean, it's totally true. Uh, you know, if you, like I say, if you want to be a believer, great. If you want to be an atheist, great. Just don't be a dick. It's, that's it. It's pretty simple. Don't be a dick. It's sort of what all the world's religions are telling us. 
lower your dickery whenever you can. Um, and for some people, atheism is a logical conclusion of this process. For some people, faith is a logical right, conclusion. Right. Some people, spiritual fluidity. Yeah. Logical conclusion, yep. and you know maybe you'll be Buddhist. I mean, I, I sort of feel like uh, I view religion like I view diets. I will pick up the wisdom from all of them. Uh, here's some keto. Here's some blood type. Here's a and, and carry that forward. Yep. When it comes to your parents' religion, it's you know I always say keep the best and drop the rest. Um, but I also don't view it as being faith or doubt. I, I kind of think they have to go hand in hand. Um, I, I like to say the opposite of faith isn't doubt. Doubt's an important part of faith. Yes. The opposite of faith is certainty. Yes. And, you know, trust those who seek the truth. Be very wary of those who claim they have. Yes. Yes, The Sin of Certainty. Another great book by Pete Enns. I love that. Um, and you're better read than I am. Well, I don't think so. The way, when I heard you interview Ken Burns talking about Benjamin Franklin, that was a fantastic interview, by the way. Like, But you've got so much historical... Anyway... Well, I'll, uh, oh, I'll I'll stop. My with dad you. was a my dad was a history there teacher, and I stuck in sports, so that's how I had to earn his love. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna let you go, but I'm I'm wondering if you could leave us with, if you have a vision, for, our culture, our society. Um, I know that's a big question. Give us the big vision you have for us as a culture, but I I feel like in you there there you do have a vision for goodness and and for good things yet to come. I wondered how, how you would put words on maybe how you want to see us moving forward as a people. Wow. I mean, you know, I think the, great, the greatest power of Jesus is that he doesn't need to exist to save us. Um, it can all be fiction, and it can still save the world because it's love your enemies it's love one another, do unto the others as you would have them do unto you, which all the religions in the world tell us. Um, you know, I, I think when Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many mansions, is actually, you could say that's a great argument for religious diversity. Um, and in terms of like, it, you know, what my, my wish for the culture is, uh, I, I think we, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, I think we have to get really serious about leaving the world better for those that came before us, but we don't take stewardship of the earth seriously. And the new UN report just shows it. And the best part about being a climate science denier is that uh, you're not going to be around when your great grandchildren curse you for having been one. Right. Um, but if we could find a way to get people to really love each other and not just say that because it sounds good, yeah, we could get there. But, you know, it, it's, we only get there one by one. I don't fault anybody who doesn't trust organized religion. I get it. Uh, it, it it's an individual journey, but you can live your life in service to others. And, um, you know, it, it's everything we already know. We have to take care of the earth. We have to stop pollution. We have to save democracy. Um, single payer for every player. You know, I could go on all day. Um, but uh, one core bit of wisdom, I, I oof. I, 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 that's a really hard question. Um, because I, I, I don't know if the human race is going to pull this off. I, I don't think that we're going to become extinct. I think this planet is an amazing self-cleaning oven 
And this planet will handle us causing problems by making sure there are fewer of us. Yeah. I don't think we'll become extinct, but the planet will do things to make sure there are fewer emissions because there will be fewer of us. And uh, we are guests here. We don't own this place. And I think the concept of owning the earth is an insult to God. So I, I just think, you know, continuing humility, uh, or at least discovering what humility could be, um, which might sound really trite in the age of, you know, Trump era fascism, but uh, I, I'm still filled with hope. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not an optimist. I'm a recovering cynic. Yes, same here. And that recovery is like an everyday decision for me. Like, I'm going to yeah. choose to recover from my cynicism, my resentment, my bitterness, you know, like, and, and, and let, that, that, let that change start with me and not yeah. look for it in anywhere else. And, you know, I'm not looking for a politician to save my world or I'm not looking for a preacher man to save my world. Um, I, I need who are you going to save? Who are you going to save today? Yeah. Who are you going to help today? Who's, yeah. Whose burden are you going to lighten a little bit wherever you can today? And I'm going to start with me because if I don't do it for myself first, That's true. I won't be able to do it for anybody else. Yeah, you know, um, my wife once uh, gave me this brilliant quote, um, infinite compassion to all directed itself first. Yes. Because I grew up in the Catholic faith and I grew up thinking that God would like me more if I was harder on myself yes, and that the more I hated myself, the more virtue was there. And it took me many, many, many years to learn that self-loathing is an insult to God. And I think my mom got that program into her in the convent, you know, um, that, that the harder you are on yourself, the more God will appreciate it. Yes. And that's cult talk. Yes. And my mother did call the convent a cult later in her life. She came to do that. And some of the best people I've ever known have been nuns, but, um, you know, yeah, hating yourself is an insult to God. I, I lived that way for 38 years, and I decided there's got to be a better way, and so I flipped the switch on that. So thank you for mentioning that. Um, I'm going to let you go. Would you remind people how, how they can find you? I know the Sirius XM show is on like every night, right? Monday through Friday? Yes, and as of now, we've just become a six-day-a-week podcast. What? So uh, our show on Sirius XM, we have... Uh, it's a political show, but we have politicians, we have journalists, we have activists, we have movie stars and rappers and rock stars and filmmakers and a lot of comedians. And um, we, uh, you can now hear the John Fuglesang podcast six days a week, which you can get on Apple or Stitcher or Google or wherever you get your pods. Um, and then uh, JohnFuglesang.com, uh, same on Twitter. And hopefully later this year, coming to a town near you because uh, I, I've done two road dates in the last six months and I'm really ready yes. to get back on the road again. I'm hoping that it's going to be safe for me to go and do that. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to come and see you in person. And uh, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. And um, I'm thank you. It's a real honor. You're, you're brilliant and, and, and compassionate and empathetic and, uh, and way more articulate than I could ever be. And that was super nice. So thank you so much. And um, I'll find you on SiriusXM. I'll keep listening. Many thanks. You've been listening to Saving My Faith. I'm Mark Smeeby, and my guest has been John Fugel saying, we need people like John in our lives to keep us sharp, to help us see where we might be getting distracted, to remind us that the way of Jesus is in sharp contrast to much of the world, and especially most of fundamentalism. I'd love to hear from you. You can call the podcast and leave a message sharing your thoughts. 
The phone number is 612-446-0069, 612-446-0069, or leave a comment on our website, savingmyfaith.com. Let me know ways that you have found to save your faith, questions you might have, or topics you'd like to see explored. And please, subscribe, comment, like, or share however you feel led. That's super important in helping people find out what we're up to. Until next time, please remember, we're in this together, you're not alone, and you are deeply loved.